Ravens looked like a pretty good bet to lose again this coming weekend against the Colts. And I am here to tell you, I am all in favor of this and entirely for the right reasons. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. And on that very upbeat note, I can share with you that I really think the NFL needs to dig in to what happened here with the Baltimore Ravens over the past week. The Steelers and Cowboys, of course, play this weekend. Sunday, 425 p.m. Eastern, specifically against the Cowboys in Arlington, Texas. I'll be flying down there for that. I'll also be addressing that in the second segment of this show. But first and foremost on my mind on this particular morning is that the Ravens had to place seven defensive players. This was last night on the NFL's COVID list. And they did so, according to the statement, issued out of an abundance of caution, a phrase you're hearing an awful lot, because their contact tracing showed that these players were the ones that were in the closest proximity of Humphrey after he tested positive. The Steelers, very thankfully on a lot of levels, the past two days have completely cleared all tests, no issues, and that includes Juju Smith-Schuster, who lined up across from Humphrey most of the game and obviously would have been in some significant contact with the guy. That's a good thing. That's a good part. Let's hope that the seven guys that the Ravens have sitting out also make a full recovery, as well as, of course, Humphrey himself. However, however, I am here to say, just as I did when the Titans were messing these things up and thus risking the health and welfare of others, or in the case of the Steelers, just messing with their bye week, that it really, really, really looks shady what happened with the Ravens and Humphrey. To rewind a bit, exactly a week ago today, last Wednesday, the Ravens were supposed to have their first full practice of the week in in advance of facing the Steelers. This is in Maryland. And... Humphrey was not feeling well and was sent home. No one has described since then, and I'm betting we don't get one now for sure, what was wrong with him. But he was sick. That much was made clear. And he was sick enough to be sent home from a practice that was going to be really, really important to the team. So you got to figure that he was sick, you know, like sick. The NFL's protocol, and there's pages and pages and pages of it. But in this context, it's very, very simple. If you're sick and you have symptoms that even seem like they might be coronavirus-based, 
You are to quarantine. You are to get away from the team. And then from there, you are not allowed back into your facility, let alone back onto the football field until you've shown two negative tests over a 72-hour span. Guess who was right back on the practice field the very next day? Yeah, Marlon Humphrey practiced Thursday and then practiced Friday and then played Sunday. What happened there? What happened? Maybe if it's another coach who didn't have this... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You know hell-bent mindset over beating the Steelers the, the same way that Brian Billick did before him. If it was somebody other than John Harbaugh, you, you wouldn't think for a second, you know, ah, there's no way he's not going to risk that guy. He's not going to risk his team. He's not going to risk the people around him. But he is that guy. And he has behaved that way. And who's to say without any proof that he didn't put Humphrey in a situation where the game became a bigger priority, thinking, who knows, maybe the Ravens, like a lot of other teams, have dealt with false positives, and he thought, you know what, my guy just wasn't feeling that good that day. I gave him a break. There's no way I'm keeping him out of the Pittsburgh game. No way. Especially when he comes back, you know, Thursday and Friday, and he's feeling fine. What really happened here? We don't know. We don't have that information. It's the same way that Tennessee unfolded. You know, I look like a crazy guy, at least to some people, when I was immediately critical of Mike Rabel and the Titans' management. And as the thing unfolded, I, with every passing day, looked less and less crazy. And it wasn't until Roger Goodell sent Troy Vincent, one of his lieutenants, in to Nashville to really dig deep for several days to find out what went wrong that at least something was done. I mean, it wasn't much. $350,000 fine sounds really, really exorbitant, and, and it is in the world of professional sports uh, and actually in any walk of life, but it isn't when you compare it to the docking of draft picks or threatening with forfeits or things like that. The Titans openly, brazenly flaunted the coronavirus protocol and were let off the hook. So here are the Ravens having done something very clearly, at, at the very least, questionable with Marlon Humphrey. And I haven't heard, seen, or read a peep about any potential action-slash-investigation in Baltimore's direction. That doesn't make sense to me. Let me put this another way. Let's say that one or more of the seven players that Baltimore put on the COVID list, you know, tested positive. Let's say that somebody's family member or friend or acquaintance or some other staff or an older member of the Ravens coaching staff or someone like that who's more susceptible to really being hurt by this condition 
let's say that Humphrey had knowingly or unknowingly infected them. Let's say that it happened to the Steelers. Let's say that the Steelers came down with, you know, a whole wave. You know, that Juju got it because Juju was being covered by Humphrey, and then he, you know, was Juju's Mr. Social, and he's dancing with all of his teammates after the game in the locker room, which he was. And then you have the NFL's only undefeated team, the marquee attraction in the league right now, being decimated by this virus. You think they'd investigate then? You think the pressure would mount to being more than just a couple of crazy people, including me, bringing it up? Where is this? Where is this pressure? We, we fuss about things like, and, and rightly so, uh, you know, mask wearing, the, you know, a coach gets caught for a second with a mask falling down, uh, players shaking hands or trading jerseys after the game, which you're actually not supposed to be doing the opponent but this was this was right there this was broad daylight and nobody's brought it up yet i don't understand that when we come back i'm going to switch attention to an even bigger train wreck that of course being america's team It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Back, the Steelers almost, almost got a chance to face an old friend in Andy Dalton. But the Cowboys yesterday announced that Andy was going on the COVID-19 list himself. He, of course, will be thoroughly unavailable for the Sunday matchup. In Arlington. And that, of course, leaves young Ben DiNucci, formerly of Pine Ridgeland High School, and then a brief and very uneventful career at Pitt that eventually saw him transfer out to James Madison because he couldn't get starting duty here. Now he, being the Cowboys' number three quarterback after Andy went down and before him, Dak Prescott, who was actually having a great year for that terrible team. Now it's going to be Ben DiNucci against the Steelers, and we're going to have to build this baby up somehow between now and Sunday. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents who filed workers' comp claims, medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. It's important to them that when they make you a promise, they keep that promise. They've been doing that for over 80 years. 
LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, Elwood City, or just learn more about them online at lgkg.com or give them a call at 888-842-5454. There isn't a whole lot to say about Steelers versus Cowboys. You're going to be exposed to stuff over the next few days about trap games and so forth. But I've had the massive misfortune of having watched way too much of the Cowboys this season because the truth is we're all forced to watch too much of the Cowboys. Um, They are still a brand in the NFL. Um, Easily one of the top two or three brands to this day, even though they haven't been any good for a long time. There was a survey I saw in the Sports Business Journal in the past week that said that the most mentioned name of any player in the NFL on social media this season was that of Dak Prescott. Now, some of that, I'm sure, has to do with Dak Prescott's gruesome injury the way his foot turned like that and all of the sharing and so forth that went on with that. But he's he's a big deal. Ezekiel Elliott's a big deal. Jerry Jones is a big deal. The Cowboys star, the Cowboys who they are is a big deal. But I am here to tell you that they are most assuredly a very, very small deal on the field. There's going to be a lot made of Ben DiNucci being out there um, and the mismatch that should represent. No, 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 the mismatch that will represent. And that's that's fair. I mean, the kid in passes or pass attempts of five or more yards went six out of 20. I can't even, like, I don't have a comment after that. Six out of 20 on passes that traveled five or more yards in the air. Uh, That's not somebody who should be playing in the NFL or should be doing anything more in the NFL than helping somebody warm up before kickoff. But there he is. He's going to be out there. When the Cowboys had Dak... And I'm going to repeat, he himself was having an outstanding season. Yeah, a few too many turnovers and so forth, but uh, he led the NFL in yardage. He was just gunslinging. He was just doing everything. And he was doing this despite a terrible offensive line. A pretty good support cast of skill guys but a terrible offensive line, so he was forced to keep moving around. The Cowboys' defense is actually that much worse. That's why Dallas was losing all those games, even while Dak was putting up a ton of yards and a ton of points. I'm here to tell you, watching that team the other night, and I know this wasn't at gunpoint, but there's just nothing else on. They're so much worse 
than their 2-6 and six record suggests. They're so much worse than their stats suggest. If they weren't in the NFC least, I don't know that they'd have won a game even if Dak had stayed healthy all this time. Why does everybody talk about them? Why are they the big topic on you know, a lot of the, the blowhard talk shows on whether it's ESPN or FS1 or wherever, because they have that brand buildup, because they know that there are people who are Cowboys fans who across the country, across the world, follow the brand. As Jerry Seinfeld once famously said, we root for laundry. That's basically what it comes down to. They root for the star, and they think that it's a bigger deal than it is. The Cowboys haven't been relative. (laughs) Let me try that again. The Cowboys haven't been relevant any more than I've been coherent in a very, very long time. Trap game, sure, whatever. Is something going to go wrong for the Steelers? Is it going to be a perfect game? Of course. That's just the nature of the NFL. Are there going to be times where you get frustrated and you go immediately, oh, there's Mike Tomlin team playing down to the competition? Sure, some of that's going to happen. The one thing I did notice and somewhat appreciate about the Cowboys game I watched the other night, which, by the way, ended up being a a lopsided loss to the Eagles. They, They kind of hung around in it for a while, mostly because the Eagles aren't much better. The one thing I, I at least liked about Dallas's performance is that they did try. There was an effort. They don't look like they've quit. There were different points over the course of this season where it did look like the Cowboys were just like whatever, especially on the defensive side. It didn't look like that on Sunday. Uh, I don't know what it'll look like against the Steelers. I strongly suspect it won't matter. But this is probably as close as I'm going to come to even vaguely attempting to build this game up. Steelers, like, 58, Cowboys, 3. How about that? How about that? At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Hey, welcome back. Just a quick baseball uh, hit before I let you go today. The Pirates had a couple of players up for awards. Wait, wait. Stop laughing. Come on. They did, for real. All right, when I tell you who they are, you won't laugh. At least I don't think you will. Uh, Kibrian Hayes was a, a legit candidate for National League Rookie of the Year. And Jacob Stallings was a legit candidate for the National League Gold Glove. Neither of them won. Uh, Hayes was eliminated before they'd even whittled down the finalists. And then last night... 
which for some reason Major League Baseball thought was a great idea to run their awards ceremony opposite presidential election coverage, Stallings lost the gold glove for catching to the Reds' Tucker Barnhart. It was the second gold glove of Barnhart's career in fairness from my vantage point, I didn't see a better defensive catcher in the league than Stallings, but that's, you know, that's kind of how that goes. I mean, the Reds weren't great, but they did at least make the playoffs and they weren't a complete disaster the way the Pirates were collectively. Uh, I have no doubt that that's got something to do with it. The one thing that you can say is that this isn't one of those cases where, especially with the gold gloves, you kind of roll your eyes because you know they're just picked by the managers, and the managers will almost always go by reputation or respect. That's how you see the same guy winning the gold glove at the same position year after year after year, even though you know for a fact they're no longer the best defensive performer at that position. This this wasn't done that way. In the coronavirus shortened season, it was done by numbers and numbers alone. Now, how they weighted those numbers and everything else, uh, whatever. He lost. He didn't win. You know, I, I saw some baseball fans upset about this online. I get it. He was one of the very few bright spots the Pirates had, but... To win individual awards, you need to have a good team. I'm sorry. I know that's not the way it's supposed to work, but it is. It's, it's just been that way uh, forever. Hayes is a different story, and that's the real reason I'm bringing this up. Uh, I had a vote this year for National League Rookie of the Year, and with just as I do with all of my awards voting in all sports, I take this stuff very, very seriously. And I put in a ton of work on this. And repeating that this was a coronavirus-shortened season, a lot of stuff that you usually apply, you can't in this case. So Kibrian comes up a little more than halfway through a 60-game schedule. And in the month that he's in the majors, he has one of the greatest months we've ever seen in baseball history for someone just up from the minors. Um, that's not an exaggeration. It was in the top four all time of first months in baseball history. And it was hard to ignore because he, he did everything well. He did stuff well that he really didn't even have much of a reputation for doing well, meaning notably hitting for power. Uh, five homers, 1,000-something OPS, immaculate defense, a really, really smart heads-up and fast base running. There's nothing he didn't do except play for, you know, a decent team. So when I filled out my ballot, I you're given three 
slots and you have to weight them, you know, one, two, and three. And obviously the one at one is the one that gets the most uh, voting points, I guess you'd call it. I had Hayes third. Like, I felt I had to have him on the ballot because of how outstanding he was. But I had Alec Bohm from the Phillies and Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers in that order ahead of him. In large part because they'd been there. They they played the full two months. Whereas Hayes only played the one month. In baseball... The other team will always eventually smoke out something about you that you don't want them to smoke out. And then you have to fight back. You have to adjust to their adjustment. And then they adjust to your adjustment. And that's how it goes through your whole career. And I didn't like the fact that Hayes never had to deal with that. Most of the teams that he faced, he faced only once. Most of the pitchers that he faced, he faced only once. And I didn't feel that was all that fair when I looked especially at the hitters who were eligible for Rookie of the Year. I noticed that a lot of them were really good early on and then kind of tailed off in the second month. Well, that's why. They had to deal with that and Hayes didn't. Now, of course, my goodness, none of this is Hayes' fault. A, he didn't want to get coronavirus in spring training 2.0, and B, it wasn't up to him to stay in the Altoona satellite camp way longer than anybody expected. And, of course, that had something to do with the Pirates, actually not had everything to do with the Pirates, wanting to make sure they could sustain his arbitration status and keep him for an extra year, which actually, by the way, is a really smart move. You don't appreciate it now, but you do in six years. So he didn't do anything wrong, but he also wasn't given the chance to do anything wrong. So, like, I felt okay about putting him on the ballot, but I I felt even better about not having him higher. Not that my vote decided this. He didn't make it as a finalist regardless. But the cool thing is, from Key's standpoint, is that he's eligible again next year because he didn't accrue enough plate appearances. He's still going to be a rookie in 2021, and we all get to enjoy that uh, over a full summer, including when he struggles. And if he performs anything close to what we just saw, he will be a shoe-in for Rookie of the Year, even if he plays for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Thanks so much for listening today. We'll be back with another one tomorrow. front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.